Hi, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Helly, and welcome to 20s Are Hard, our fortnightly podcast on surviving your 20s. How have you been? It's been um, quite a couple of weeks, hasn't it? It has. It felt. It feels like it's gone really fast, but really slow at the same time. I think there's been such like an onslaught of information and what with things constantly changing as well with coronavirus. I think there's just been so, so much going on that I can't actually believe we're back and recording another episode already. I know. I feel like I've blinked and the past few weeks have gone by so quickly, but also, and I think this is just like a COVID thing, the time seems to go so quickly and also so slowly. But we kind of, before we really kick off, we want to say thank you to everyone for last week because we know that the episode was different, um, but we hope that you found it useful. We hope that you did take the time to go and look at the resources that you continue to do that. And we had great feedback on it. So thank you for your support in that. Um, But we are going to go back to our regular format this week, but we want all of you to know that just because we're back to our regular format doesn't mean that we're suddenly not taking anti-racism or anything else seriously. Yeah, I think we just want to say a big thank you for obviously coming back and we hope that they were a start a useful starting point for those resources. And we want to keep having those important conversations um with you guys and with each other, which is where today's topic hopefully ties in quite la- um quite well with last week's episode as well. But before we get into the topic and all that kind of thing, we do want to have a bit of a catch up to what we've been up to and also share some recommendations. So what have you been up to in the past couple of weeks? I know that some of your restrictions have lifted now, so you're allowed to actually go outside. Oh God, I cannot actually describe the excitement. I Last weekend, it was a long weekend. As, okay, this is nuts. Sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. But last weekend was so much fun because it was a long weekend because here you get a bank holiday for the Queen's birthday. The what? British Queen. Oh, get one. You get a day off here and not in the UK. So when I discovered this, I was thrilled. <laughs> that is hilarious. I mean, it's brilliant for you guys, but what the hell? <laughs> I know. I was so baffled. They do love a public holiday here, though. There's so many throughout the year. They even get one for the AFL Grand Final. So basically, like the, the football final in September, <laughs> the entire the entire country gets a day off and same for the the big races day in November as well. <laughs> That's mad. I know. But we made the most of it. We hired a car. We um it was actually the first weekend that you could go um you're still within the state so you can't cross state borders for any non-essential travel, but it was the first weekend that um hotels, campsites, accommodation, Airbnbs could legally open again. Um, we decided not to do that just because it was a bank holiday weekend and we didn't want to rush out. We still want to be responsible and cautious. So we just did three separate day trips from Melbourne, one down to the coast. Um, we went to the mountains and hiking and oh my God, it was just so nice to get out in the fresh air. Like I swear the air tasted different, but like, it felt so yes clean and crisp and fresh and I was loving it so much I was like we're gonna to move to the mountains like even though it starts snowing there in three weeks time I was like I want to move to the mountains now <laughs> but no it was so so nice to get out and get away from the from the city a little bit um I think I mean we're not going to be doing it every weekend because again we still want to be responsible but like this weekend we went out for drinks with some friends and I've actually been really impressed so we've been out twice now for food and drinks 
and it is so organized. So restaurants are basically operating about 50% capacity. You have to have at least three meters between tables. It has to be all table service. And also we've got contract contact tracing. So mm-hmm. you have to leave all your details there. And like the one we went to yesterday at the entrance, you scan a QR code, it opens up a Google form, fill out all of your information. And then once you've completed that, it automatically opens the menu. So you don't need to touch a menu. You don't need to write anything down. You sit at the table. It's full table service. You only get up to use the toilet. I, I've just been impressed at how well businesses have adapted, really. I think it is it is going to be the way things are for a long time going forward. And it's it's very reassuring to go out and actually feel comfortable when it, I thought I'd be feeling more nervous about it. Yeah, because I that's the big thing that we've kind of been saying is that when restaurants and places open, aside from everything else, I'm not actually sure I want to go out for a meal. Like, I'd definitely get a takeaway, but that it's made me very nervous. Whereas knowing that that kind of thing can be done, especially with the whole showing you the menu, but only when you've put your details in and all that sort of thing, that would make me feel so much more comfortable. Because it's like, it's really accessible. It's not an invasion of privacy or anything like that but everyone you know everyone else sitting in there has had to do the same as you yeah I think that's the thing and it was it was just really reassuring I mean I know there's another one down the road which at the moment is using like one use menus and I'm a bit like ah that's not really environmentally great but um I think businesses are all going to do things differently but if you can find somewhere that is doing it well and you're really comfortable with how they're doing it then I'm excited for that going forward and I'm pleased that the local businesses can find a way to work with it. For sure. I think if businesses can adapt around it, then it's going to be fine. Like, well, not fine, but it hopefully will be better than not even opening and they'll all survive and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, What have you been up to? Well, I have some very exciting news. We signed for a flat. I mean, you know this already, but people who are listening don't. Yeah, um, I can be excited all over again and in person because the first time you WhatsApped it and now I can actually be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're so excited that we finally, it's been a really bizarre, it's been such a crazy experience. I think I'm actually going to have to write a blog post about it or something because it's been the weirdest thing to be, pl- so we're moving like two hours away from where I currently live. Um, so trying to find a place anywhere is always going to be a bit challenging in terms of going and looking around. And we found out we were moving like back in February. So we had decided what we would do is like pick a weekend, probably April, May time, go to the area, stay there, check out all the towns and villages nearby and try and get viewings in. So we had all this planned and then obviously COVID hit and we couldn't do anything for weeks. Like we could look online, but we couldn't even arrange like viewings or anything um so actually what we ended up having to do is have a lot of virtual viewings and similarly to what you were saying about restaurants I feel like a lot of estate agents have really adapted well to this and they've if properties are empty you're allowed to go view them but they won't come in with you and it all has to be sanitized and that sort of thing like there aren't any open houses um it's very much like you book it in you have a set slot all that sort of thing and then Mm -hmm. if people if there are still tenants you can't view it at all. Um, or at least none of the estate agents we were using allowed us to. I think there are some like government, I think the government guidance is that you can, but there are a lot of things you have to do. And similarly to what you were saying about going out for the like weekend, just because we can do it, we're so cautious of being really responsible that if we don't have to, we don't want to. 
Um, so the estate agents were great. We got a lot of like videos. We did a lot of Google mapping of the area and going on street view. And actually the place we ended up signing, the tenants were so lovely. Um, they contacted the estate agent and were like, if they want to WhatsApp video call us, um, I'm happy to give them like a tour of the apartment with all of our stuff in it so they can get an idea of room sizes, which I just thought was the kindest thing to do. And it really helped us. Um, like, it, I just I just thought it was such a lovely thing for them to do because they really yeah. didn't have to. Yeah, that's so, so nice of them, like to go out of their way. But I guess like that's the great thing about this situation that like you probably wouldn't have even had any kind of relationship or had anything to do with the current tenants if this hadn't happened. And I think it's just so nice that, like you said, people are finding ways to work around things. And yes, it's different, but that's awesome that they were able to do that. And like well enough for you to be like, yes, this is the place for us. Yeah. So then we drove over a couple of weeks later and like we were still not allowed in the property. So we viewed it from the outside. Um, Alex is still based down in Devon. So he hasn't seen it at all um, so it's kind of a bit nerve-wracking but I just had this thought like before um as I was like umming and ahhing whether to sign I was like people move abroad and rent places and buy places without ever having been to the country so you know we can we can do this it won't be that scary um so we move I move at the start of July and then once Alex is allowed to move he will come and join me and we finally have a place like there are obvious logistical things of combining households and that kind of thing, but because it will be permanent, um, we've checked, it's all fine. So like, no one worry, I'm not being reckless in COVID. Um, and there's Also, it's only you two combining. It's not like you're bringing his entire family with you. Yeah, and he's been tested already for COVID and that kind of thing. And his new job will probably make him do that anyway. So there's a like... I just want to assure everyone that all the appropriate steps are being taken. And obviously I'm going to quarantine for two weeks and that kind of thing. Um, but to be honest, it's just so exciting and to finally have a plan. And it's all I've really been focusing on for the past couple of weeks, like searching for furniture and all that sort of thing. And God, sofas are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for you guys though. Like, oh, I can't wait to see it even virtually. Oh, I know I can't that's so the thing like I move I move in a couple of weeks and this weekend coming um I'm going back to my flat because I've been staying with family during the whole of COVID um so I'm going back to my flat to pack it up and I'm I'm feeling so weird about it like I know I'm probably gonna cry I know I'm gonna get really emotional because I mean there's a whole thing about that I, I could do a whole episode on that flat um <laughs> and what it means to me but like it's so weird to be thinking of moving um but I'm so excited like I don't think there's another reason I would leave other than to finally live with Alex you know yeah oh I'm so pleased for you guys I can't wait I feel like I'm living vicariously <laughs> I can't wait to do a tour of it it's gonna be so cool oh my god and when it has all the furniture in as well that's the thing isn't it like getting to decorate how you want to decorate is yes like, so exciting like we've picked out quite a few bits like we know the a couple of the plants we want to get um we've picked our bed we've picked I've already got a desk so I'm taking that with me like our desk chairs stuff like that like it's it's really exciting and what's really cool as well is so much of it I'm like okay can we go to like small independent brands and I'm discovering these really cool little brands um that I hadn't either used or heard of before and it's just so exciting 
Yeah. That's so weird. We were actually looking. I don't know why. We ended up in a furniture store earlier today and it it was just full of independent brands. And it's amazing kind of once you step away from those big mainstream stores, how many amazing things you find. And they're not even that like unreasonably priced either. No, this is the thing I've found. So many of these smaller places and they're beautiful pieces. They're really great price. But also I love the idea that you are supporting local or that you're supporting a smaller company, especially at the moment during COVID. Yeah. Um, and it's a treasure trove because it's so much easier to just be like, I'm just going to go to John Lewis or I'm just going to go to Ikea or wherever and get everything from there. And we've kind of done that with the big pieces that we know we need to just get sorted, like our coffee tables from Ikea, we just knew we needed to get that sorted. But when it comes to stuff like placemats or plants or all the nice bits that make somewhere feel homey, discovering those little brands has been so lovely. If anyone has any recommendations, please do share them, particularly for plants. I'm big into getting local plants. I just want to basically turn the flat into a greenhouse, <laughs> but also like decorative pieces, like vases or um, like coasters, all those kinds of little bits and pieces. Please do share away. Oh, I see so much like home inspiration on like Pinterest and things, and I love how it looks, and it always involves so many plants, and I just I, I love the idea of plants, but I just can't look after them. I'm awful with plants. Like, so what you need is um so patch plants do and I'm not sure how far out they deliver I think they deliver to the whole of the UK now um but they're a small London-based company and they their whole thing is really cool you pick the plant but they've named them all like the Chinese money leaf plant is called Penny which I just love but they have a whole section on their website of plants that you can't kill oh my god and that that is what I am shopping from (laughs) Yeah, but you're talking to the person who has like killed a cactus so oh how I don't know I, just, I don't know I don't they know I, it, I don't I think I might have overwatered it to be fair it got moldy oh Jesus okay well but I worried that I was like underwatering it so then I overwatered it I think <laughs> And anyway, it, yeah, the bottom got like rotten and it died. Um, okay, if anyone else has any plant maintenance tips, please share because clearly I can't go to hell for those. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! After plants? No, I just forget because I'm not a green fingered person. I don't like. I don't, I've never enjoyed gardening. I like being outdoors, but I don't. I'm not like a plant nurturing kind of outdoors. I mean, in fairness, part of the reason that I want to get these plants was started by the fact that I found out that a lot of plants, you need to get a mister for them. And I saw a mister that I really liked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that'd be such a cool thing for you to do. And like spritz my flat instead of just like pouring water onto them, it's like spritz the leaves and all that sort of thing. And that's what started this whole thing. So I can't say it's a completely... Um... <laughs> well, you've done that the wrong way around. You got the equipment before yeah. you've got, got the actual idea. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway do you want to move on to our recommendations now we've chatted in only about plants for 15 minutes <laughs> yes um let's talk about something other than my plant killing tendencies right um, off, your first one 
So my first recommendation this week is um, a book called Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. And you might have seen this book um, being recommended a lot online over recent weeks um, because it is a contemporary fiction book that specifically looks at the life of a black woman living in the UK. And I haven't actually finished the book yet. And so I would not usually recommend it before I finished it, but I'm over halfway through and I was literally laughing on the first page, like crying tears of laughter. It's such an honest and open and very realistic book that I feel like if you like this podcast, you're going to really like this book because it's a very kind of open look at a woman negotiating kind of the modern world and love, friendship, moving to London, a career. But at the same time, there's also this very serious kind of almost political look at the way that black people and specifically black women are viewed in the UK. And at the same time, as I was laughing on one page, the next page, I would be absolutely horrified by just casual racism. And I think I was so horrified because I realized how true it was because I could see so many parallels I've experienced myself. Like one of them, she's at her boyfriend's family's house for Christmas and there's a racist uncle who says the N-word about a character in Cluedo. And Mm -mm. I think those scenarios like that, you see it so much, almost like you become blind to it. Like I know I've definitely experienced it kind of with family or friends or stories that I've heard from family that you you see it and you know it's bad. And then you see it in this context and you realize, imagine like you can't imagine being a black person and hearing that be said by someone you love's family and the yeah. way that she addresses it. And it's like when that happens, she calls him out. And then even her own boyfriend is like, oh, you're overacting. You know, he's just joking. He doesn't mean it. He's had a few drinks. And it's it's like racial gaslighting. You just, it, and it has absolutely blown my mind in a similar way. Like she, she has like a cu- couple of like casual like relationships and one of the guys is like oh I've always wanted to have sex with a black girl and Mm. again you've heard things be said like that before whether it's on a tv show or like a casual comment that's been made and I that that is it's fetish fetishizing the like black female body and the way it's written about is just so candid and I absolutely recommend anyone reading it because it's it's enjoyable but also it's eye-opening and I think it's especially important at the moment it came out last year um it's already won a couple of awards and obviously it's been promoted a lot recently as well so I would definitely recommend giving it a read that is the next book on my list of fiction I'm currently reading um a different book um, but that's the, I can't wait to read it. I've been, I, I think it was originally, like when I first heard it, it was, it, it was referred to as like the black Bridget Jones or something like that. And I was like, mm, I'm not, I don't love it when someone says it's the ex of something else, like the new yeah. so-and-so or I really, I don't know. I always find it does a discredit to, I know people mean it as a compliment, but I always find it kind of discredits something a bit. And it yeah. kind of put me a little bit because I was like, well, I've watched Bridget Jones loads. Like, is it going to, is it actually going to appeal to me? And then I've heard more and more people talking about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I get the, I get why people are really into this. And I can't wait to read it. Like, I'm I so honestly excited. had the, I had the exact same thought process. I read that it was like being dubbed the black Bridget Jones. And you're absolutely right. I think it does it a massive disservice because it just groups it in with something else, which yeah. completely does not have, 
is Bridget Jones is missing a key theme about black people that this book yeah. has and that's important. And I think like it just massively diminishes it. And I think that first page and what really made me laugh, but I think that's also why people have dubbed it that because I mean, it, it opens up with her, with her legs up in stirrups and a gynecologist. Like I think it's, it's that kind of environment that's made people draw those parallels. But beyond that, I don't, I don't know. It's... Yeah, I guess well, at, at the time it was released, Bridget Jones was very, um, like it was very much at the forefront. It was very different. Other things like it didn't exist 20 years ago when it kind of came. Maybe it's more than 20 years ago because I reckon the movie's about 20 years old. So yeah, I reckon it's more than that. But, you know, I, I guess at the time it was very different. And I imagine there's a bit of that in it as well when that comparison's made is that it's something new and like refreshing to a scene that already exists. I think that's it. I think that it is something very refreshing and it looks at the modern woman and I guess that's what Bridget Jones did do, but I think it's 1999 was Bridget Jones. And really? that's Yeah, and that's not the modern woman anymore. We're in 2020. Like this it might be kind of following the same idea, but it's not got the same themes and concepts and I think that's why it's really important for people to read now. Mm. For sure. Okay, that's the next one on my list as soon as I finish Commonwealth. That is what I'm going to read. And we'll have to discuss. Um, What's your first recommendation? So my first recommendation is an article that has um, had quite a lot of coverage on social media this week. And it's on the New York Times. It's an opinion piece by Laurie L. Tharps. And the title is The Case for Black with a capital B. And it essentially looks at why when writing the word black in reference to a person, you should capitalise the B. And I'll be perfectly honest, it's not something I'd thought about before. Um, I think if I'm being honest, I would interchange whether or not I capitalised the B and I wouldn't give it a second thought. Um, But having read this article, I can really see why it's so important that we capitalise that B. And it was a completely, again, I think this is so much of what this anti-racism journey, I think is the best word to use it, is teaching me, is that there are so, so many different perspectives and so many things that seem very small or potentially insignificant on the surface particularly as white people but then when we dig into it and we put in the time to learn a bit more and understand someone else's story you can see why it's a no-brainer so now I've read the article I'm like of of course that makes perfect sense and the part of the article that I'm just going to share here which really really just summed it up perfectly Um, but the article goes into a lot of detail and it's really interesting so I would recommend you go and read it but um, the lines that go when speaking of a culture ethnicity or group of people the name should be capitalized black with a capital b refers to the people of the African diaspora lowercase black is simply a color and the line that says simply a color I was like of course like it makes Per, when you when you read that it, for me anyway it was a real light bulb moment of of course we should be capitalizing the b um and now i've read it i will always do that but it was just another it was another one of these articles that focuses on something that like i said you might think is insignificant or not part of a bigger picture if you're not part of the group it affects but actually having read it i'm like okay that's a no-brainer that's really yeah. useful to me i'll pop it in the show notes yeah, I actually learned the exact same thing this week. It was from an Instagram post um, by Glow from, she's at Glow Graphics on Instagram. And she posted the exact same thing. And it said, is it rude to call us black? And it oh, basically, I saw that. it was so yeah. good. 
And it basically explained from her perspective why black is, to them, it's something that they are proud of. It signifies their heritage. And actually, a lot of people think it's offensive. But she's like, yes, obviously, it's offensive if you're going to pair it with a derogatory term. But the word black capitalized is not offensive. And actually, people think they're being politically correct if they say African-American. She was saying that's that's actually just narrowing down people's heritage to African and American. But Africa is a very big continent and that's there's lots of different countries there. So one, you're kind of grouping people together under an umbrella term that doesn't exist. And two, not everyone has aligned themselves with being an, an American citizen or that's not their traditional heritage. So actually it could potentially be more offensive. And I thought, God, I hadn't even thought of that because I'm pretty sure I've I've probably said African-American more than black. When obviously I've been referring to an American black person, but I just like you, I just hadn't considered it before. And now I'm I'm so glad that I'm aware of it because it was something I was worried that I was being rude about or yeah, I, I guess it's another thing that we tiptoed around around and now we've we've learned more about it over the last few weeks. For sure. I, f- I found that um, those pieces on Instagram really helpful, actually, when you shared that, because it was the exact same thing. I was worried I was going to offend. And actually, in the past couple of weeks, I've learned more about the difference between, I mean, this sounds blindingly obvious when you say it out loud, but African-American and Black British and the differences in different people who want to be referred to in different ways. And exactly to what you said, how African-American kind of plays into that issue of there's a really awful thing that happens particularly in like I want to say western but then I feel like western's a bit controversial as a con like as a um term that we use anyway because what does that even mean but I know people will know what I mean when I say it like western country oh Africa I want to go to Africa they are African I'm like okay but that's an entire continent with over 50 countries within Africa and you can't like wash them all as one place like it does a massive disservice there's so many different cultures so many different people so many different views opinions religions everything and it's something I've been more increasingly aware of in the past few years and I think once you notice it it's like a real moment if you realize how frequently people will go I want to go to Africa or whatever it is it's not the continent of Africa it is Africa as almost inferred as a country which is so wrong I think I've always been like I've been aware of it for a while but from a travel perspective so when someone's like oh have you been to Africa and I've always been like whereabouts in Africa like be specific but I think what you said I do think it's a western thing but I think more than anything it's a white person thing because white people don't they don't know the they don't know the difference maybe it's because they're just completely ignorant maybe they're scared to try and differentiate I don't know but I think that is a white person thing to just make a sweeping generalization about an entire continent because they just that's don't understand so that's such a true thing actually I hadn't thought of it it's more of a white western thing that's a very important um classification there I think you're right totally but I think just to say on that and only because I posted that post by glow graphics to my story and someone who I know from um Australia she sent me a message and she was like, obviously, this is true. But her sister works for um, an indigenous publisher here in Australia. And she's kind of said, I just want to draw attention to this. This does not apply for um, Aboriginal indigenous cultures in Australia. Often they 
don't like to be called black because it is it's an association of a different culture of people from Africa and I think well she was basically saying the best thing here to do is to ask those people how they would like to be referred to because apparently here younger generations would prefer to be referred to as first nations people whereas older generations would prefer indigenous or aborigine but the issue with indigenous is that the way it's aligned in the um like australian law or i say constituency and that's not the word constitution like the australian constant constant australian constitution um is that it basically aligns indigenous with flora and fauna so it essentially reduces first nations people to the level of like nature and plants um which is obviously ridiculous so I think it's definitely something to be aware of and maybe if you're comfortable ask that person what they would prefer to be referred to as rather than assuming as well I think that's really important actually because I I would know I think I would know not to refer to someone as black if they weren't but completely to what you're saying I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't have known that first nation was is it first nation have I got that right have I just completely yeah that's right yeah um I would I didn't even know that was like a way that people identified so it's really helpful to know and I guess that's this goes back to what we were saying in last week's topic about having these conversations because I feel like I've just learned a ton from what you've just said and it's not something that I probably would have ever come across without going and looking for it um and that's not to say that we shouldn't be going looking for it but actually a quick conversation like that can t- can tell you so much yeah Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the thing. It doesn't have to be these long drawn out discussions that you have with people and writing essays on it. It's just about having having the conversation and getting to know more about different cultures and different people that we obviously didn't know about before. Not necessarily through a fault of our own, but we were ignorant to it. And now we're changing that. For sure. Do you want to share your second recommendation? My second recommendation is a movie and it's called Knives Out. Um, It came out last year. Oh my gosh, it is amazing. For people that don't know, it's a very similar kind of, if you know the film Clue with Tim Curry, if you enjoyed that, it's a very similar concept, um, but set in modern day America and it's a very large, very well-off family, a member of the family is killed and they try to understand what's happened and every member of the family has a different issue with that person a different grudge that they held a different secret and it is absolutely full of famous people there's Chris Evans Daniel Craig Joseph Gordon-Levitt Jamie Lee Curtis Tony Collette Christopher Plummer it's got Catherine Langford in as well and it's it's literally like a star-studded lineup and I was kind of worried that that would almost make it a bit rubbish but Mm, that's what I've been worried about no I enjoyed it so much it even has 97% on Rotten Tomatoes I've just had a quick look to see whether I really am um harping on about nothing but no I really really enjoyed it and it's definitely one of those movies that it's not really intense it's a really nice one to kind of put on on a Friday or a Saturday evening with a gin and just yeah enjoyable thoroughly recommend it just for a, a nice fun movie to watch I really want to check that out I kept seeing advertised on the tube last year and I was like that looks 
the it looked really up my street but the I was exactly the same as you when I saw the cast I was like oh does it mean that they've just put all the money into getting good names and not as much into the story but hearing your glowing review I will add it to my list of movies to watch next weekend Oh, you'll have to tell me what you think. Yeah, I was exactly the same. We kept seeing advertised on all the tram stops here. And then eventually we decided to watch it last weekend. And yeah, definitely worth a watch. Um, What's your second recommendation? So it's a TV show. And I'm sure a lot of people will probably have started watching it already. I'm not sure if you've watched it because we've never discussed it. But if you haven't, please go and start it this evening. Um, It's Money Heist on Netflix, also known as La Casa del Papel. Um, It's a Spanish drama I guess is the best way to put it and it is all in Spanish but Netflix will automatically dub it into your native language or or you can watch it in Spanish with subtitles whichever you prefer um the dubbing actually isn't that bad um you do get used <laughs> to it it's dubbing is not my favorite way to watch something in a foreign language but I was overruled in the house so <laughs> we'll go with it um, but to be perfectly honest like it's not as bad as some of the dubbing I've seen before and it centers around a group of eight people well nine people and they essentially break into the royal mint of Spain and do a heist with their plan to steal billions of euros without hurting anyone and it is one of the most it's so gripping like I can see why it's been so hyped. It's been in the top 10 of Netflix for months and months. Um, People will probably recognise it as like a pop culture reference. They're the ones that are in the red jumpsuits with the Dali masks. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have seen that. I've been hooked, so hooked. It's got a really brilliant, it's got a couple of really brilliant female leads in it as well. Um, It's very clever. The attention to detail is brilliant. And there's a lot of it explores a lot of different things and different relationships and how people get to a point in their life like all of these criminals on the surface you'd really judge and then when you learn about their lives you kind of start to think about things differently um and I've been really enjoying it have you seen it yet no it's been on our to watch list I think we'll either we'll watch it when we finish our current series we're on I think um because so many people have recommended it to me and I know it sounds like right up my street definitely so no spoilers but I am gonna watch it soon no 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 of course no spoilers but um you would you would absolutely love it it's quite tense but I would say in like a scale of like not tense at all to very tense it's kind of it's not as tense as a stranger like that had me ripping out my hair um (laughs) it's not as tense as what frost is but it is like it, do you know what it's a really good distraction when I've had a bad day at work <laughs> and I then go and watch these people locked in the royal mint I'm like do you know what my job is nowhere near as stressful <laughs> but I've been really enjoying it and I would really recommend there's four series well they call it parts on Netflix so there are four parts there's about 12 episodes in each um we've just started part two so it's all there ready for you so you don't have to wait either for the next series to come out which I think we can all agree we hate doing. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. No, I'm definitely, we're watching that soon, hopefully, because it's definitely my kind of show. Yeah, it really is. Um, do we want to move on to this week's topic? So this week, following on from our episode last week and just kind of the cultural mood at the moment, we thought it would be a good 
opportunity to discuss how to have difficult conversations. Um, the focus will mainly be on those difficult conversations regarding maybe race or sexism or other difficult social topics. But I think also a lot of what we'll say will also apply if you're having like conversations with people in your life about your relationships or with work and things like that. So hopefully this will be quite a helpful way to start having those conversations. Yeah, I think there's so many situations in life. And obviously this is something, like you said, is so relevant at the moment where everyone's acknowledging that we need to have these difficult conversations, but they truly are the only way that we're going to have long-term change going forward, especially in regard to anti-racism globally. And I think the thought of those conversations is, I don't know, this is a sweeping generalisation, but I feel like the thought of those conversations is often more daunting than the conversation themselves. I know that's not always true, but I think part of this topic is, I know we're probably both very guilty of this, building up how difficult something is going to be in our mind when often there is a way to tackle these conversations which which is healthy and positive and is going to be more appreciated by both sides rather than just kind of going head on into a heated conversation or just not even tackling at all I mean especially in regards to race it's it is how we're going to move forward now and I think identifying ways to make these conversations easier is definitely going to be valuable going forward for sure and it's like anything in life the more you do it the less scary it starts to feel and for when we were thinking of like how to have these difficult conversations the first thing that came to our minds was making sure you're prepared whether that's knowing your facts knowing um like how you want the conversation to go whatever it is if you are prepared and you're confident in what you're about to say and you have conviction in what you're going to say you then won't be worrying about the words you use and tripping over yourself. And I think that's a really key thing when you're having a difficult conversation is to make sure that you feel from the offset that you're able to have the conversation and do it in a constructive way. But I think on I think from that, though, especially in regards to having conversations about racism, you might not actually know what your argument is because you haven't got one if you are the person asking the question and saying I want to have a conversation about this and it is a difficult topic I think in the same way you don't need to have an argument you you don't know the facts that's what you're trying to have a conversation about and I think that's also okay as well I think you just need to to again outline that from the start I think it's a very I think it's a very big thing to be able to stand up and say, I don't know about enough about this. Please, can we have a conversation about it? And I feel like that's going to be a far more respected way to start a conversation like that, rather than just going kind of headfirst into, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's not productive for either side of the conversation. Oh, I think that's really true. Yeah, if you're if you're initiating the conversation because you know, what you want to get out of it and you know kind of your stance on something then I think yeah being prepared and kind of having that confidence is important but if you are approaching it from the other side of I want to have this conversation because I want to learn I think you're completely right like that's quite a that's a very brave thing to do to kind of check your ego at the door and say okay can you teach me and then being open to what is said back yeah definitely and I mean I feel that like that links a lot generally to a lot of conversations, conversations you have, you have to leave your ego at the door because 
you might even hear some things that are unexpected or difficult. This might be in relation to kind of your partner or a relationship with family or even something at work. And I think being able to not leave your emotions at the door, because I feel like there's a certain element of emotion, especially in difficult topics such as this. But I think it's not going to help anyone if you are going in very headstrong and very flustered. And I think, like you said, being confident in what you want to say, whether that is asking for help or whether it is asking for something else. I think also being calm is so important with that as well, because it's that fine line, isn't it, between being confident and being arrogant. And I think being calm goes alongside that because getting angry is not going to help anyone in any conversation. I mean, it's like rule number one, isn't it, in relationships, like having an argument, walk away, come back in an hour and then start again. Yeah, for sure. Like I think when when we talk about calling people out or getting called out ourselves, there's almost that fear that it's going to have to involve shouting or screaming or put downs or whatever it is and it doesn't have to be like that and actually when you're having these conversations regardless of what side you're sitting on in that conversation having that very calm level-headed approach and kind of knowing that you don't have to react to everything in the moment and actually you can take this stuff away because I think that's really important as well sometimes you'll have a difficult conversation and there won't be a resolution in that moment or you won't get the answer you want in that moment and whether that's because it's like a work situation where they need to go away and discuss with someone else or you or someone else who's having the conversation needs to process information you might not get that response straight away so you're perfectly fine you're allowed to feel angry of course you are but it's whether it's constructive in that particular circumstance when you're trying to have a very productive conversation, whether it's the best use of your energy. And actually, if you sit there and just try to stay calm and take the information away to process it, you might end up being surprised at what you learn from it. I think that's what I think that's what I've learned over the years is in the past, I would get very angry in a situation. I'd be like, no, that's wrong. But I wouldn't necessarily know why I thought it was wrong. And then on reflection staying more calm you get more information than when you've reflected you can almost put your point together a bit more effectively in the future does that make sense yeah I feel like that I don't what you were saying there really kind of rung true for me when I've had conversations in my career like Mm. if I've gone into a meeting and I've been upset but I'm very kind of frustrated by something and if I hear something that doesn't quite it's not what I expected or something hasn't got my way. Like perhaps, I don't know, talking about promotions or career progression or pay rises or just changes in kind of your job description. I know getting angry doesn't help. And like you said, I I would often walk out, really think about it and it helps you realize, okay, this is what's happened. What can I now do to improve? And I think even if you've had an outcome that doesn't go your way which does happen you can't expect every difficult conversation to come out in your favor but I think being able to take something from it and say okay this is how I can improve this is what the issue is what do I need to do to change that in the future because you need to have that level of self-reflection and self-criticism I think to progress especially when you're talking about career but also in terms of racism and like we've said before, calling ourselves out, having that level of reflection and realizing where you're wrong so you can be better is another really kind of key part of having those conversations. 
For sure. And I think having that lack of, I don't want to say lack of judgment, actually, that's not really the right way of putting it, but not being judgmental of others and also not being too judgmental of yourself in that situation, I think is really important because if you've asked someone for that advice or that help, you need to be open to what you get. But also if you're trying to initiate a conversation, because maybe, maybe like us, you've done a lot of reading recently and you want to have these conversations with family members, everyone's at a different point in these journeys. And if you go in all the time, all guns blazing, people are going to start putting their walls up. And a few years ago, I heard something that I just thought was so brilliant. And it was essentially someone was saying, don't punish people for not knowing something you didn't know two weeks ago. And I just thought that's such a brilliant thing to keep in mind, because I think when we, like as people, become passionate about something, or we learn about something, we can all get so into it and we forget that maybe the reason someone isn't behaving in the same way as you is because they just don't know. Yeah. And you didn't know before, like you weren't born knowing this information. So, and other people either in the community you're learning about or just people in your life have given you the space and time to learn, understand and improve. And therefore you need to give people that right as well. You can't go in and be like, well, I know this now and therefore you must be at the same point as me. As long as they're showing willing to learn and do better, just give them a little bit of time to get there and don't yeah. and encourage them to do it. And you almost want to make someone want to do it rather than feel like if they do it, they'll, you know, they're being made to do it. And I don't know. I mean, I find that I guess it's kind of a difficult one because in some ways, yes, you should be made to learn these things. They're very, very important. But I guess what I mean is there's a difference between someone going, I should go and learn about it and I will. And someone being, I'm forced to learn about it and I don't care and I don't want to because I'm being told what to do. And there's a bit of a difference there. Definitely. Like I, I totally agree. And especially with issues that are related to race or sexism, anything like that, which is a difficult topic. And we, what we've learned over the last few weeks, calling ourselves out, calling other people out it is our responsibility it's not black people's responsibility to call someone out like they've been dealing with this crap for generations like we do have to take some responsibility for this but also with that comes acknowledging that someone might not realize that they're wrong and I don't think you can immediately penalize someone for that for for not knowing because like you said no one's born with that knowledge everyone learns things at some point And I think if you're going to call someone out, it needs a well-informed and a calm conversation because shouting is not going to help anyone. And equally think about where you are when you're having that conversation, because telling someone that they're a racist in the middle of the office is going to embarrass them. And you don't even, they they might genuinely not have realized. I think having that conversation is so, so important because how is someone going to learn if they're never taught? And you might be the person to start that teaching process that you just don't know. So that's why it needs to be approached in a sensitive way. The other thing I would say, though, is I think what's really important when you're having a difficult conversation, particularly about something like race or any of these other issues, I think what's really important is that you almost before you go in, you draw your own boundaries and you know at what point you decide to walk away from the conversation because whilst many people will 
want to have the conversation and learn and have that exchange, there will be people who you have conversations with where you are laying yourself bare, you are opening yourself up and being very um, vulnerable to try and move a conversation forward. And no matter your best attempt, those people do not want to have the conversation or they're not willing to even entertain the idea that they could be wrong. And I think whilst it's important we have the conversations with those people, sometimes you have to draw a line and go, for my own well-being, I'm now stepping away. And I've I've definitely said it to people recently where we've had a conversation, it's not gone, it's not gone particularly well. I've shared resources, they've tried to start the argument again. And I've gone, actually, if you've not, if you've not gone and done the reading and you've not gone and done the research, I'm not going to discuss it with you right now. Because you have the power to learn more and you've chosen not to and now you want an argument. And therefore that's not the best use of my energy or that it's it's not wanting to disengage with people who need to be spoken to, but it's drawing that boundary to protect yourself, to use your energy in a more efficient way elsewhere. And I mean, that's me as a white woman having the conversation. I think particularly if you are black or a person of colour, the emotional labour of those conversations must be so horrendously intense. Um, and I think all of us need to look out for ourselves as well yeah I I totally agree and I think I mean I don't want this to sound like I'm being a like little snowflake but I really do think you have to pick your battles because like you said not everyone is going to be open to having those conversations and I feel like most of the time when I when I decide that this is not a battle I'm going to have it's pretty much 99% of the time with people online who are you're never going to change their mind you're they've there are they've got conspiracy theories they're far right they're extreme supporters of things I just cannot ever align my own my own being my own attitude they're just things that I cannot understand and I think when something's so extreme it you're totally right. Like the emotional labor of trying to understand something that you literally cannot comprehend. There's no way you're going to make that person comprehend it. The other day, someone messaged me and said, I've heard that the Chinese government has banned their citizens from visiting Australia. Is that true? And I was like, are you serious? Like this is on Instagram. And I thought, is that really like, am I really the the authority that you've come to on that to like do some research? I don't know. I was completely baffled by it, that it just came through into my message requests. And I thought, what a strange thing to ask. And I kind of made the point of maybe look on the Chinese government websites and maybe look at some reputable news resources. Mm. And it just, I don't know, the kind of conversation went back and forth for a little while. And then I thought, this is not worth my energy because this person's already made their mind up and they've already got a certain idea in their head about how something's going to go or what a situation is. And I think you do have a certain responsibility yourself to look things up and learn, like we've already said. And if you're going to have those difficult conversations, it's also not your job to hold someone's hand through the entire process. Yes, 
I think that's really true. And at the end of the day, I think you never, you never know the impact you're going to have on someone. And in the moment, that person might be so set in their views and be quite antagonistic or denying of your or someone else's experiences. Maybe it's an accumulation of experiences like that that then encourage them to go and do the reading. But it's not your sole responsibility as an individual to take them to that place where they feel that they can do that research and reading. We have the amazing resource of Google. And yes, there's fake news out there. And yes, there are, you know, there is a lot of opinions out there. But actually, if you you just have to spend a little bit longer checking your sources and reading a bit more, like that isn't an excuse not to do it at all. Um, and I think now we have all these resources. If you're in those, if you're in those really difficult conversations and it feels like it's not going anywhere and you're the one getting hurt at this point, despite your best efforts, your energy is much better used being preserved saying, do you know what? I'm going to end this conversation here. I'm happy to pick it up at a later date if you do feel happy to, but I would ask that in the meantime, you go and look at this. And then you get up and you walk away and that energy that you would have expelled trying to convince someone who doesn't want to know suddenly gets put into speaking to people who are maybe genuinely interested and will be really perceptive to what you say. And I'm all for stepping outside of our um, like our own echo chambers and having conversations with people who are different to us. I think that's so important. But you can't help anyone if you yourself have nothing left in your tank. Yeah, and I feel like that's so applicable to whether you are having conversations about race or sexism or in relationships or at work. I think if, you, if you're if you in a situation where someone is really looking to be handheld, it it is time to take a step back because I think especially in relationships that you have with people, what's important is that long-term change and you can help someone get onto that journey from the start. Like you can help them all you want, but if they're not going to continue to put those actions or put those thoughts into long-term actions, it's, there's not going to be any change. And it does, does almost make you feel like the effort that you've put in to try and help someone is wasted because there's no kind of long-term commitment to learning more and making progress. And I think, that's so applicable in relationships, whether it's with family, whether it's with your partner. I think it is all about those long-term actions that you kind of carry through and show that a person wants to develop. Yeah, totally. And I think that kind of wraps up really nicely for this fortnight. And hopefully if you've listened to this, you feel a bit more capable of having those difficult conversations. And I think what I'd also say is we don't feel comfortable having difficult conversations all of the time. And I think you're not meant to feel comfortable necessarily when you're having a difficult conversation. But if any of you have any advice or tips or experience that could be really valuable to us or anyone else like within our 20s a hard community, please do share them because that's how we're all going to get better at this. Whether it's asking your boss for that pay rise or confronting that racist uncle at the dinner table, um, or challenging maybe like your boyfriend if he says something about women that you're like oh mate no that's not all right by all of us helping each other we're going to gain that confidence so you can always contact us via email on 20sahard at gmail.com or of course you can contact us on our instagram page which is at 20sahard 
Um, and of course, we would love for you to rate, review and subscribe on the uh, podcast platform that you listen on, which whether that's Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate all of your support and we hope you have a good couple of weeks and we will speak to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.